Well, morning, church. Uh, it's so good to gather again in this way with you, however it is that you're, you're joining with us. Um, the restrictions have actually lifted to some degree on both sides of the border, but we're still unfortunately prohibited from meeting together. We're able to have 20 um, on site, which prevents us all gathering together in the way that we would like to. Actually, ironically, as we're now able to have more people here, we actually have less as we've had Bob contribute in the way that he has. The reality is we are a church that is across two states um, and the most recent restrictions have prevented anyone from New South Wales being able to, to come and, and to gather with us and to serve and use their gifts and to bless us. And so we really thank Bob for taking the time and the effort to prepare what he has done to lead us in worship still and in the praise of our God uh, in a very different way than what we would normally do so, but in a way that still enables him to, to be involved. And so thanks, Bob, and we trust that uh, as a wider church that we've been blessed and encouraged by his ministry to us. We don't know the shape of things going forward, so there may be more weeks that look you know, like today has, uh, and we'll try and experiment with other things along the way, but just keep on reading the, the newsletter in particular that will give you an update on what's happening and what our services will look like on any given Sunday. I think it's important though that we take time to actually check in and to, to ask, you know, how are you going? I mean, lockdowns are hard, but sometimes the, the release of them is also hard um, because there's a sudden change and readjustment. We just settle into a, a certain rhythm of things and then suddenly it's all, it's all different again. So how are you coping? How, how are you going? We'd love to, to hear from you if you want to and, or need to reach out. And you can do so by... Um, messaging prayer at wdbc.com.au that's prayer at wdbc.com.au and and you can just connect with us that way Uh, it might be a prayer request or it might just be um, a request for someone to visit you or whatever it might be Um, make make use of that but also it doesn't have to be as formal as contacting the church specifically. We, you know, the, the church staff, the pastors, the pastoral care team are not the only ones who can reach out and care and support and encourage each other. So, so maybe send a text or, or make, a, make a phone call or look over, look over your fence and actually be the body of Christ to one another and to our community as we check in and keep tabs of, of how people are going through all this season. We're going to have our Bible reading then now before I pray and we get into the Word together. We are, uh, the sermon is coming from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're picking up that series that uh, we'd put to the side for a few weeks. Uh, So we're picking that up again. So so we'll be reading, uh, the sermon will come from 1 Thessalonians 5, but we're actually going to read from Mark chapter 13. And just a, a few verses there. Mark 13, starting at verse 32. And it's Jesus speaking. And he says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, Keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. 
If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. These words of Jesus, uh, keep them in the back of our mind as we then come to the letter to the Thessalonians in just a moment. But let's pray together. God, we thank you for the reminder that we've had already this morning through, through the songs that Bob has led us in of just how great you are. God, uh, when we consider that, when we consider all the works thy hand hath made, when we consider uh, the, the splendor of who you are, God, we can't help but, but overflow with singing, overflow with praise and with worship of you, how great you are. We just want to declare that together today as your people. God, too, we hold on to that truth and that um, that reality in the midst of ongoing changing circumstances that we live through. God, we thank you that restrictions have lifted to a degree and that we're able to have more uh, contact with other people. And we, we pray, God, that we will take advantage of that and be blessed and encouraged and built up by that. Um, we're still limited in what we can do uh, with our actual church services, God, but we thank you for the wonders of technology that enable us to still um, connect in whatever kind of scattered way that, that it might be. And we thank you too, God, that one day Jesus is coming again. Um, we don't know when that will be, but we look forward to that with anticipation, knowing that at that time he will make all these things that are broken and um, you know, wrong with the world, that at a time it will all be made right again. And so we long for that. And as we come to your word then that's going to speak to us about that day, we pray, God, that we'd have ears to hear and hearts that are ready to, to listen to what you are saying to us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I had a thought the other week. It's quite a few weeks ago now, but as I first started preparing this sermon, um, I'd been listening to a lecture on, on church history and it was specifically talking about the persecution that the church experienced in, in the early years and, and David's kind of touched on that in the last few weeks as well. But in this lecture, the, the lecturer said that, that persecution served to purify the church because it meant that only those who were really serious about following Jesus would even dare to claim to be a Christian. And, and so nominal Christians, those who, who thought... who who joined the church you know, for whatever sense of advantage or, or benefit, uh, but didn't really hold on to that faith. They then dropped out once it was no longer advantageous to them. And so it served to, to purify the church. But persecution also served, he said, to extend the church. That instead of crushing and destroying it, persecution actually gave the early Christians a platform to proclaim and to demonstrate their faith. And counterintuitively, this then served to spread the Christian message and to grow the church. And my thought as I listened to this, my thought was that in our day, we don't really have to deal with much persecution. I mean, yes, there is some, and yes, it's perhaps increasing, but we are still a long way off from having our head of government, you know, light us up as human torches for his entertainment. And so my thought was, in thinking about this, that actually what we have to contend with is not so much persecution. 
you know, persecution that comes from outside forces against us. But what we have to struggle with is complacency that comes from our own hearts. If we are not careful and diligent, we can become too casual, too relaxed about our faith. See, in Western culture, we have been in a privileged position for a long time, making it easy to be a Christian. Even more, with the consumeristic bent of our society, we can shop around for a church that meets our needs rather than to commit to a church that asks or even demands something of us. We make it more about us and what suits us and what we can get out of the experience. And so we easily become complacent. And a complacent church made up of complacent Christians is not a threat to anyone. I actually think complacency is a greater danger to the life and witness of the church than persecution ever was. So today's passage that we're going to look at in just a moment, it comes to us as a wake-up call. Now, ironically, it was written to a church that was facing persecution as well. So if there's scope to become complacent in that kind of environment, then there's even more so scope for that to happen for us today. And what's confronting too is that such complacency um, in what we're going to read is a characteristic that was attributed to those who don't know Jesus. So let's get into it. And if you're taking notes from this sermon or you know, jotting things down on your phone or whatever, I've called it living this day with a lowercase d, just our, our normal everyday kind of days. Living this day in light of that day with a capital D. And so we are in 1 Thessalonians 5. And starting at verse 1, it reads, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, Peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. This picks up straight right from where what Paul was saying in the previous chapter. There he talks about Christ's return and about the dead in him rising first before the rest of us are then also caught up to be with him, to be forever with our Lord Jesus. And here Paul says, you know, continuing that, that line of thought, he says, you don't need to try to figure out when that day is going to be because you can't. Remember what we read from, from uh, Mark, you know, we don't know that day and that time. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says that you know, as well as I, that the day of the Master's coming, it can't be posted on our calendars. He won't call ahead and make an appointment any more than a burglar would. In other words, we can't know when his return is coming. Yes, Jesus does give us some signs, you know, some indicators that it might be getting close. But he also says in Matthew 24 that about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing 
about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, Jesus says, people will be complacently going about their lives and then destruction will come on them. As Paul says, people will be saying peace and safety. We're healthy, we're secure, we're good. And then bam, that day of the Lord will be upon them. It will be unexpected and it will be inescapable. Now listen to a description of this. Uh, listen to a description of that day written by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 13, he writes, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every heart will melt with fear. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and to destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make people scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Paul is linking the return of Christ to the day of the Lord. And in doing so, he thus affirms that the deity of Jesus and this day that is going to come is a day of judgment and wrath. It's a day when in righteousness and justice, God's burning anger is unleashed to destroy sinners, to judge those who stand opposed to him. God is not good and God is not just if he were to leave sin and rebellion unpunished. And so in his goodness, he has then delayed his judgment. But in his justice, that day will come. And we don't know when that day will come. In fact, the wider world is indifferent to the fact that the day will come. And will catch them unawares, like a thief who is breaking into their home in the dead of night. And so, I mean, this is not the point that Paul's making here, but, but I think it's appropriate to say that this is one way in which we need to live this day in light of that day. And that's to say that there is an urgency to our missionary task. Now, it might not seem like it, I mean, 2,000 years have gone by and still Jesus hasn't returned. But that just means that it's 2,000 years closer to actually happening. And the majority of people around us, we, we read, are appointed to suffer wrath. Now this is confronting. We need to let this impact us. And I say this personally, this is personally confronting and challenging. 
as Christians, as a church, we have a job to do that for the sake of others around us who we know and who we love, we cannot afford to be casual or complacent about because that day is coming and it needs to shape how we now live this day. I think... I think it would be appropriate that we pause and pray even here mid-message mid as we reflect on this. And so God, we want to pray now. And we ask that you would help us to live this day in light of that day, particularly as it relates to those people who we know and who we love, those people we see and interact with every day who don't yet know you. God, so stir our hearts, so impress upon us the reality of that day that you would give us an urgency to the missionary task that's ahead of us, that we'd, you'd give us an urgency to share our lives and not only our lives but the life of Christ with them and, and the, the saving um, grace that is available through him. And maybe... Uh, just in a moment of quiet, just offer up the, own, the, the names that spring to mind for you to pray for them to God. God, may we not be complacent. May we not be casual about the lives of others who we know and who we love, who we care for. And instead, may your grace be at work in us and through us to see them saved, we pray. Amen. Now, thinking about that day in such a way is clearly a, a sobering reality. To think about those who will um, be on the receiving end of God's judgment at that time. But for us who are Christians, that day comes to us differently. Back in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes about how the Thessalonian Christians are waiting for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And this makes a difference to our identity and how we approach that day. Let's read on in, in chapter 5 from verse 4. Paul writes, But you, brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. In other words, we're not asleep in our beds in the dark of night, unaware and indifferent to the thief who's breaking in. No, we are awake and aware with our eyes open in the light of the day. So the day of the Lord will still come like a thief in that we don't know when it will be. But the difference for us is we know that it will be. It's like in, in kind of pre-COVID days, when, you know, when we used to be able to have social gatherings in our homes and stuff like that. And so in those times, you know, your birthday is coming up. And you, you notice that your partner has been acting a bit odd 
recently. It's a bit more secretive than, than normal, taking phone calls in, in, in other rooms, sending text messages that they then delete so you can't read them later on. There's un, uh, unexplained purchases coming up on, on the bank statement that when you ask about, they, they kind of dismiss it in some kind of a way. And, and in the midst of it all, you figure out, you know, in fact, because you know what your partner's like. You know that they are organizing a surprise party for you. What you just don't know is when that's going to be. And so just like a surprise party, our approach to that day is very different to that of the world. Those who are still in darkness will face it with fear. But we who live in the kingdom of the sun, who, who is light and life, who having been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and saved from the coming wrath, who for us who are sons of light and daughters of the day, we approach that day with anticipation. We look forward to Christ's return because as we'll see in a few verses time, it's not a day of judgment for us. But it's a day when we get to be with our Lord face to face. And our anticipation of that day then, the, the way that we approach and consider that day, has consequences then for how we live. We read on from verse 6. So then, Paul says, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. This section starts with a strong, so then. There's a force behind this phrase that, that makes what follows inescapable for us. Because we know that day is coming, so then. Let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Knowing Jesus is coming again is to impact how we go about living our lives. We are to live differently. We're not to be asleep, which Paul is using here as a metaphor for, for spiritual carelessness and, and indifference. We're not to be casual or complacent. Nor are we to be drunk, he says, which is the opposite of the self-control that is a fruit of the Spirit. Rather, it's being intoxicated by excess and implies a, a numbing or a hardening of our hearts towards God. That's how the world lives, indifferent to and disregarding God. But the call on us as Christians is different. This is not how we're to live not asleep, not in drunkenness. Our call is to be awake and sober. We are not of the night, so we should not act as such. Rather, we are of the day, anticipating that day, and so we should act accordingly. And this means, Paul says, then living with faith and love and hope. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and an assurance of what we do not see from Hebrews 11. It's knowing that the future is secure. It's being assured of our salvation. It's being certain that God is the one who is on the throne. Love is the opposite of selfishness, of the selfishness of drunkenness. It's oriented towards God and towards others. Loving God overflows to a love for other people that's expressed in our relationships with them. Love 
does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And hope is to live in anticipation of the future and to live in view of it now. It knows that this world is not our home. And so we shouldn't get too comfortable with it. Instead, our life is hidden with Christ and we long for his coming, a coming that is promised by the one who is the truth. Living with faith, love and hope means being awake and sober. It means living distinctly in, the, in this world. Not out of any sense of moral superiority or anything like that, but because we are new creations in Christ, having been born again by him, in him and into his kingdom and not the kingdom of the world. We now live under his authority, anticipating that day when his kingdom will be on this earth as it is in heaven. And living in such a way is to happen not because he's given us some commands to obey, but we live in such a way because of the salvation and the life that he's achieved for us. From verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. This, this is our future. In Christ, we escape the judgment of that day. So it's not a day for us to fear. And the reason we don't have to fear that day is because he died for us. We actually deserve that day of judgment. Our sin warrants his wrath. But in love, Jesus died for us. Jesus suffered for us. Jesus bore the wrath and the judgment for us in our place. And he did so so that we don't have to experience it. And he did so so that we then also get to live together with him, both in the future, sure, but also right here and now. See, this is the thing. Salvation in Jesus is not just a ticket to heaven when we die. It's not just a means of escaping God's wrath. It is that, undeniably. But if that's all it is to us, then we miss out on the riches of what's on offer. And we actually cheapen and demean his death for us. Jesus died our death that we might live his life. A life in relationship with him. A life walking with God. A life that's overflowing with the fruit of his spirit. A life that experiences his wholeness and holiness. A life that is abundant and full because we have Christ. And we have him now. We're not just waiting until we die or until he comes again to start living with him in this way. That's already started. That's the nature of our lives now. Which is why then we live awake and sober. We live with faith, love and hope. Because eternal life has already begun for us. And so we need to live like it. And so in the final verse of our passage for today, verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Therefore, 
because of all this, because of the life that we have in Jesus, because we are children of the day, children of the light, because we are not anticipating that day with fear, but instead with joy and hope and anticipation. Paul has a simple instruction to us. Because of all that, he says, encourage one another. Build each other up. In other words, help each other to live this life that we have with Jesus, to live it in anticipation of that day. And these seem like quite perfect words to us in this time that we're in. And I say that in regards to two aspects of this time. One is the the challenge to our mental and relational health that's posed by the ongoing restrictions and uncertainty of what it is to live with COVID. I mean, we just had Are You OK Day, which is particularly pertinent, pertinent at this time, given rates of, you know, increased rates of depression and anxiety and, and all else that goes with it. So given the impacts of this season on us, anything that we can do to reach out to others, to encourage them, as Paul says, and, and to build them up, to uphold them, anything we can do is a good and beneficial, caring and a necessary thing. But the other way in which these words are important in this season, these words to encourage and to build up, it's related to us, particularly in this time, in terms of the the complacency idea that I started this message with. See, there's no church service to attend at the moment, so we can become complacent and casual about it. We are well out of our routine. So even our own personal practices of faith, they start to fall by the wayside. There's no activities for us to engage in where we get to use and develop our gifts. We're not in contact with anyone to model or share our faith. And in the absence of anything else to do, especially on a glorious day like yesterday, We invest ourselves in our gardens and home improvement projects or in online shopping and Netflix binges. Our faith is not persecuted, but is it forgotten, neglected? Are we casual about it? And it's into this space that the reminder to uh, you know that the reminder to live in light of that day the, and the encouragement to be sober and awake the building up of our faith love and hope anything that contributes towards that is again a good and a necessary thing any way in which we can encourage one another and build each other up is good I mean, we've had young adults writing letters to older saints in the church We've had youth leaders uh, delivering care packages to their D-teams and and checking in on on them. We've had kids' church blessing families as they spend time together. I know of one family who had a personal challenge within their own midst for each member to reach out and to connect with someone through the week. I know another family who cooked up a batch of soup to, to deliver it to a few families who were doing it a bit harder in that time doesn't take much to offer encouragement and to build others up but its impact can be immense it might wake a snoozing christian from their slumber 
It might help a distracted, self-focused Christian to sober up. It might remain a complacent Christian to be ready for the master's return. So how can we live this day in light of that day? How can we express and live out our faith, love and hope in a way that blesses and impacts others? And how can we encourage and build each other up? I think that's a real challenge to us from the word for today. And so with those words, let us pray. So God, we come to you now as your people, as ones who have been saved by Jesus, saved from that, from that day of coming wrath, so that instead we look forward to that day as the day when we get to be face to face with Jesus. But the reality is that the life and the salvation that you have achieved for us has already started. We're already living in it. And so God, may we do so in increasing measure. May we be awake and sober. May we be people of faith and love and hope. You know, may, may those characteristics be, be evident. And may we encourage one another and build one another up. And to do so, all the more as that day approaches. God, may your word have spoken to us today. May your spirit have impacted us today. And so that we are not just hearers of it, but that we'd be doers of it. And as we do it, uh, God, may you grow the likeness of your son in us all the more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.